Isaiah 42, 1 to 9. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no one, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. This is the word of God. A few years ago, a group of Russian scientists were running a study on a specific eagle uh, or, or uh a species of eagle where the numbers are getting concerning. Um, and so they wanted to track the eagles and put a tracking device on a small number of them. And the nature of the device was that four times a day, it would send a text message with the coordinates of where the bird was so that over the course of a long period of time, they would be able to map out uh, the habits and the location of the eagles. So, um, many of you will know that uh, you don't always get good cell phone reception. I'm on T-Mobile, and so there are gaps in Morningside Park, or if I walk along Riverside Drive, sometimes my phone call drops. You can imagine that eagles may fly to places where they're not getting reception, but this team built in a plan, which is that if it flew out of reception as soon as it came back into a network, it would just send the data from whatever period it had gone uh, offline. So uh, the study was going fine. Um, sometimes birds migrate in the summer, and a lot of them did that. This one eagle, uh, I believe the name was Min, if I remember that correctly, went to Kazakhstan. I don't know where else you would go in the summer, but uh, that's where this, uh, this eagle likely was, Kazakhstan. But the problem was, after about five months from Kazakhstan, rather than re-entering Russia, the eagle went to Iran. Now, why is that an issue? Well, the Eagle connected with the Iranian phone network with a bill at 77 cents per text message, which is about five times what it was in the network that they had subscribed to. And five months worth of text messages and coordinates were instantly set out and it ate the entire research budget. So the scientific project was bankrupted in that one moment because one bird flew into the wrong network. 
Uh, so there it is. They had a plan. Um, and then in one instant, instance, all of their resources were gone. They couldn't, they, they lost their funding. They, they couldn't continue the project without another grant. They wound up crowdsourcing. They, they figured it out. I'm highlighting that because, uh, you know, uh, some of us are finding that we're in a situation, if you, if you use that analogy of, of having resources, a grant, money, a fund, but, but think of your own energy, whatever it is, uh, sort of depleting over, over a period of time that you're running out of steam. Uh, but sometimes people think that they're doing okay and, and things are, are happening in the background that are, are depleting resources and, and they're not aware of it. Or sometimes something surprising happens. So you're doing fine, but, but there's an incident, uh, there's an event or something out of the ordinary, something that wasn't in your plan happens and instantly it just takes everything from you. Uh, we're at a period of time where, where I think in our own community and in our city, and certainly I think it's around the world, many of us are, are finding perhaps um, that we're, we're drained. We're, we're running out of our resources, our energy, our kindness, our hope, our endurance. And for some, it's been a gradual eroding of things. Um, but sometimes related to this pandemic or not, there could be one instance out of the ordinary that just um, takes everything from us, that, that changes us. And, and therefore, we don't have the strength to go on. Uh, we're looking at Isaiah in the month of December. Today, we're looking at Isaiah 42. In verse 4, it says, he will not grow faint or be discouraged. And so in our gathering today, are you growing faint? Are you starting to get discouraged? The nature of a church gathering in the time of Christmas, when we remember why it was so worth celebrating that Jesus came into the world, especially as we're growing faint, as we're growing discouraged and losing hope, Isaiah announces one sent by God who will not grow faint, who will not grow discouraged. And unlike other messages where you're discouraged, but here are people who aren't, where you're growing faint and you can't keep up, but here's the people who are, and that adds to your discouragement. There's something utterly unique about the Christian story with a focus at Christmas about the arrival of this promised one who comes into the world, who does not faint, who is not discouraged, and he actually winds up being the encourager, the one who gives courage, the one who gives strength. And so we need to remember that. We need to remember that Christmas is an occasion that is, is, is meant to be a cause of our commemorating the promised one who came, who would not fail, and who joins us and invites us so that those who think they will fail don't have to fear that they will. Those who fear that their hope is going uh, have hope. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to talk about three things. And I want to begin by talking about a fainting people. This is the first place where, where we'll begin, a fainting people. Uh, this message about the one who does not grow faint, who does not get discouraged, comes among people who are. And, and so what is the nature of the way this servant will relate to the people he comes among in our presence, in our midst, in every generation? Verse three says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. So if you think of, of a reed, 
you know, a plant sticking up, not that it's been hacked with a machete or, or uprooted, but it's bruised, not meaning that it's discolored, but, but maybe it's, it's broken. So it flops over. It no longer has the strength to stand up. It, it floats around in the wind and yet it's still there and it's still rooted, but it's not going to produce anything. Um, it's bruised uh, or the, the faintly burning wick. You know, uh, sometimes when, when the candle gets to the bottom, it, it gets so faint that if you just leave it for a short period of time, it's going to go out on its own. You know, there are certain fires. Sometimes if you have a, a, a fire in a fire pit and it starts to get faint, you introduce air to it and it fans it back into flame. But there's that faintly burning wick. If you do anything, if you even move subtly, any slight breeze will, will put it out. What we're told is there's a servant who will come who himself does not grow faint. But he will come and in his presence, as he comes among the bruised reeds, the faintly burning wick, he will not break those who are bruised. He will not put out those who are nearing the end of extinguishing. So Jesus comes among the weak, among the weak and the discouraged. He himself is strong, but his strength is of a different nature. His strength is helpful to those who aren't strong. That makes him different. Now, now you ask the question in Isaiah, it's, you know, here there's this focus on my servant. That's verse one. Behold, my servant. And what I've been highlighting in the month of December that, that Isaiah really anticipates hundreds of years before the arrival of Jesus, Jesus' arrival, speaking of Jesus as this servant. But, you know, Isaiah's original readers um, would not necessarily have thought about one particular individual. By the time of Jesus's day, there was the hope that God would send one person. Uh, but certainly at the time of Isaiah's writing, uh, on the one hand, who is God's servant? Well, it's Israel. It's the, those who received the promise of Abraham and were his descendants, the promise to Abraham, I will make you a great nation in this world. If you walk with me by faith, if you follow my ways, you'll be different from the nations and, and you will be a light to the nations. That's part of the promise. And so, so Abraham's descendants go into the world, and, and the world is supposed to see the light and come to them. But Isaiah is now speaking to Abraham's descendants and saying, you are not shining the light. You are not living by faith. You are not keeping God's ways. The nations are not coming to you, but as you're getting more desperate, you're going to them. And instead of the nations becoming like you in justice, in hope, in righteousness, in knowing God, you are becoming like them in not knowing God, in not walking honorably, in perpetuating injustice. So the original sense of, of my servant who is called, it should have been God's people, but God's people are bruised. God's people are faintly growing dim. And in this hopeless situation, you know, original readers of Isaiah might have thought, you know, the servant is supposed to be Israel, but now they're failing. That's what Isaiah is saying. God's own people are not listening. They're stubborn. They have eyes that don't see, ears that don't hear. Maybe the servant is not Israel. Maybe the servant will be Cyrus the Persian. After all, the, Babylonian, the Babylonians are going to conquer us in a ruthless way, though Isaiah is warning us to turn before this happens. But when it happens, maybe the servant wasn't us. Maybe it's Cyrus. These are the kinds of thoughts that came up in real time. Um, but who of this, who of Israel or of Cyrus did not grow faint or become discouraged? Who entered the world and, and existed in the suffering, but, but did not grow so discouraged that they gave in? 
and became like the nations? Um, and who is it that came among others that wound up healing rather than hurting? There's only one that fits the description. But for now, we recognize that the story of the Bible and the story of human history is a story of people who are bruised and who are growing faint. And what happens, um, you know, sometimes there's this phrase, hurt people, hurt people. What happens when we're wounded? What happens when things don't go well in, in any way that it happens, when, when we're bruised, when, when darkness comes into our lives? It starts a downward cycle that, that the story of the scripture, so even God's called people, even God's pe the people with God's righteous law, even uh, the people with God's provision, um, need something. There's something uh, about the nature of this world that once evil impacts us, once we're deceived, it, it leads its mark that it spreads into the whole of our lives. It spreads throughout our community. It spreads throughout the world so that bruised people wind up in a downward spiral. So we can see uh, there's a cycle here. The promised one, there's a strong emphasis on justice. So, so justice in the Bible has a number of angles and shades, but, but here's just a generality for today. It's, a, it's about things being right. When, when something is unjust, it's put out of order. It's no longer functioning right. It's no longer, there's not integrity. There's not truth. There's not health. You know, any number of these things where, where things are, 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 are uh, when evil comes, when things are broken, when there's bruising, things need to be made right. And in a world where injustice is a reality, there's a hope that, that maybe things could be made right. And so you're, you read the first four verses of Isaiah 42, and that's the promise that a servant would come. That was the task of Israel, but Israel failed. Um, none of the other nations uh, fulfilled this. Maybe a servant would come who will, verses one and three says, bring forth justice. Or verse four says, establish justice. So what we want is things to be made right. The problem is when things are not right, what do we do? What do bruised people do? What do fainting people do? What do hurting, discouraged people do? So the contrast of the one who does not grow faint or get discouraged is the one who stays upright, who stays the course. There's one servant who did that. The rest of us, we want something that will help us not feel the bruise. We want our hurt to go away. And so we want justice. We want health. We want people to be fixed. We want ourselves to be fixed, our world to be fixed. But when there's pain, we're often desperate enough that instead of justice, we want comfort. And so this cycle is that we will turn to things that will distract us, that will promise. You know, we're, when, when anyone is desperate, they will easily believe somebody who promises a solution. And so we're, we're vulnerable to, to the marketing sales pitch for, for the snake oil, for the thing that, uh, that there's no evidence this will work, but we're so desperate we'll, we're willing to try it. In ancient cultures, it was idolatry. In modern cultures, it could be any number of things. But what do we turn to? What, what human thing do we hope will fix us? Um, so in verse 8, God declares his uniqueness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Now, the idols don't seem like a major emphasis of this passage, but, but go to verse 41, and the whole chapter before this is the warning about idols. What happens when we make things that we think have life in them and give us life? The warning is we become like them. And so the nations of ancient cultures, some modern cultures do as well, have man-made gods, and the Bible is clear, there's no life in them. 
you can have religious devotion. You can um, do whatever you want to work yourself up into a, to an emotional hope that, that there will be an answer, but it won't. But what we do in a non-religious way, we still say, in my hurt, in my woundedness, um, God's plan for healing seems so distant. It seems so far off. It seems inaccessible. I don't know that I'm worthy of it. I, I'm not sure I've figured out how this religion thing works. And so we go to what will quickly comfort us. And sometimes it's harmful things. It could be alcohol or pornography. Sometimes it's good things like food or shopping or even exercise, things that are good, but we, we hit with such desperation that what we wind up doing is not fixing our problems. We wind up distracting ourselves to things that feel like we're sustaining life, but we're really weakening. The, the bruise is getting worse and the distractions don't work and nothing is life-giving. And so there's this cycle that, that the bruised people where things aren't right, there's corruption, we're not just, and we, we can't fix it. And so we go to something that will comfort us, but, but the comfort is just a distraction. And we'll land like in verse seven, uh, we need somebody to come that will open the eyes of the blind. And so we, we wind up in darkness. We wind up running from one thing to the next that we hope will keep us distracted or desperately hope will fix us. And nothing is life-giving. We get more desperate. Verse seven says, the one who comes will bring the prisoners from the dungeon, uh, from the prison who sit in darkness. You know, this, the downward cycle, if, if we're not careful, if we don't find what really gives life, if we don't find what really heals, if we just medicate ourselves, eventually we wind up getting so confused at this description, we wind up like we're in a dungeon. It's not just that we're in prison, but we're in darkness. It's damp, it's unhealthy at that point. Uh, it gets lonelier, it gets more isolating. That's the kind of warning. What Isaiah is saying is bruised people grow faint. They give up. This world gets them off the path of life. And it's a desperate situation, a downward spiral in, in, in where we get utterly stuck. So how are you going to turn your life around? How are we going to turn the world around? It sounds utterly hopeless, and it is, and we need that stark warning the problems are deep. We don't have the knowledge. We don't have the insight. We have giftedness, but, but we're not able to repair things at that depth. The promise of Isaiah is failing people will have God who will come and turn things around, will restore, will give life. And so, so the, the struggling servant, Israel, the church, you, me, growing faint, giving up, our hope can't be in ourselves. We're bruised. We're weak. It's too late. Does that mean we're hopeless? Apart from God, we are. We're like people in a dungeon, in a prison. The good news of Christmas is, but we don't need to be apart from God, that God announces in advance he will do something. So here's the second thing I want to talk about. I've been talking about a fainting people, a desperate, a bruised people, but here's the second thing. There is a faithful servant. That's what Isaiah announces will come, that a servant will come and he will not grow faint or weary but he will not break those who are bruised. He will not snuff out, but actually he will come and he will bring life. That is the hope. God promised it. It began in what we remember in Christmas, this one faithful servant. So verse one says, behold, look, my servant. Oh, that we could go back in time and say, look at Israel, look at God's thriving community, that we can say, now look at the church. God says, behold, my servant. It winds up being one person. There's only one who does not grow faint or grow weary, who does not get off the path of righteousness and give into temptation. But though he was tempted, he was without sin. 
the promises, God himself would come. And so verse four, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. He comes with this mission. He comes with this task. He's going to make things right. He will rectify. He will heal. He will bring justification. There's one who can do it, but he himself cannot grow faint or be discouraged. He cannot give in to sin and disqualify himself. There is one who will do it. What's clear in this passage is about a servant, whoever that could have been, Israel, Cyrus, anyone else that you could think of, that at the end of the day, it's always going to be the Lord who does it. So so start in verse six, I am the Lord. And look at verses five to nine, the emphasis on I, God speaking about himself, that word Lord there is the covenant name, Yahweh, sometimes used to be pronounced Jehovah, there's different ways to pronounce it. The name given to Moses from the burning bush at a period where God's people were so desperate, they were so bruised, they were fainting from their desperate situation. And God showed up and Moses said, you're sending me to the most powerful nation. How on earth can can I speak into that situation? Who should I say told me? And, and, And the Lord says, tell them Yahweh. I am who I am. The Lord has sent me. Verse six, the same God now announces through Isaiah, I am the Lord. And in verse six, he says, I will give you as a covenant for the people. And a covenant is a relationship, kind of like we have contracts today, not exactly the same, but in a contract, we have an agreement. I'm agreeing to this. You're agreeing to that. If one of us breaks it, the contract is broken. There's penalties, there's obligations. A covenant is similar, but a covenant is a bit different. And I'm not going to go into all the differences, but but covenants weren't always with equals. God is a king, and he, and he promises to be a provider for people who need to listen to him. And so there are stipulations, there are promises, there's blessing, all sorts of things if you study the topic of covenant. Israel was the nation that God was in covenant with who was given to the world. Come, join my people. But Israel failed. He now says, I will send my servant. Behold, my servant, I will give you. <laughs> my servant as a covenant for the people, the covenant promise, I will be your God, you will be my people. Isaiah is saying, you, my people, are breaking the covenant, and therefore um, you will bear the penalty and not receive the promises. But verse 7 says, God will give someone to fulfill the covenant who will bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. So God promises that he will deliver, that he will fulfill You know, one of the encouraging things about scripture is it bears witness to a consistent faithfulness of God. So there's a covenant between God and people. It's with all of humanity. You could see his covenant with Adam or with Noah, but it becomes special through his promise to Abraham. And then as the law is given through Moses throughout the ages, God is consistent. He is faithful. He speaks the truth. He is honorable. He does not lie. He is. He does not sin. He does not break the covenant. That should be good news. We can trust him. The problem is we have broken the covenant. And so we can trust God, but we can't trust ourselves. It's this desperate situation. What do bruised people do? What do broken people do? What do fainting people do? We have nothing but despair that if God is truthful, he will send the penalty for breaking the covenant. He will hand us over. He will no longer be our God. We won't be his people. God says, behold, my servant, what will I do? Christmas celebrates incarnation. The Lord himself comes. 
The Lord himself comes into our world, but as a human being who will not grow faint or weary until he establishes justice, it means we have one person only who will keep the covenant. Yes, God keeps the covenant, but no people ever do. God has provided his servant to keep the covenant. He will bear the curse for our breaking it so we can receive the blessing of being God's people. That is how God justifies. That is how God takes this broken world and makes it right. We are too weak. We're the bruised reed. We can't get up and fight the injustice. We can't deal with our sin as our own light is going out and we sit in darkness. God says, behold, my servant. I am the Lord. I will give him for a covenant, the new covenant, sealed in his blood, that he will turn this cycle around. And so there we are in that cycle. We are bruised. And so what do we do? We seek comfort in idols. Remember, he is bruised for our transgressions. We're the dimly lit wick that feels like we're going to go out, but he's the one who breathes his last upon the cross and darkness comes upon him. We're the ones who are captive, but he's the one who is treated like a criminal, crucified and condemned so that the prisoner would be made free. He is the servant who does not grow weary or faint until he establishes justice. When he is crucified, he shows that he's faithful keeping the covenant, but he deals with our sin. He deals with our brokenness. He deals with our illness and he comes and he bears it so that through God's grace, the covenant promises are kept so that broken people um, are fixed and healed so that bruised reeds are not broken, but are placed back in their place. Dimly burning wicks come back to life and it's all God's grace. And so the question is, how do we get out of this cycle? We have this cycle where because we are sinful, because we are imperfect, the second we start to hurt and, and sometimes hurt you, some of you experience hurt emotionally, precisely. That's the right word. Some of you, that's not the right word. Um, maybe you're angry. Um, and, and anger doesn't feel like hurt because it's because it, it has an energy to it. Uh, but think about our woundedness. Think about what we've suffered, the injustice, the corruption, the things we've done wrong, the things that have been done wrong to us. All of us will, will want to deal with that in some way that gets us off the path of life. And we get into that downward spiral and it's impossible to get out of once we're on it. How do we get out of the cycle? Jesus has has been brought to be an intrusion into our lives, to, to break into our lives. So he goes to the bottom and he bears everything in order to turn it back around and to bring us into life with him. So as you think about yourself and the standard patterns you have, what happens when you're discouraged? What happens when you don't feel good enough? What happens when you've failed? What happens when you're anxious for the future? Where do you go for comfort? The cycle begins. Jesus is meant to be an interruption to come into your life, to bring you strength, to bring spirit. And now there's an alternative. You don't have to sit in the darkness. You don't have to accept the reality that you're weak and there's nothing except to be crushed. The servant has been sent into the world and into your life to bring his spirit into you so that he joins you in your weakness and shares with you in his strength. Um, so so what, are the, what are the new things you can do instead of going to the, to the addictive thing, instead of going to the distracting thing? What is the thing that you can do that will help you remember that there is one who does not grow faint? And if you join yourself with him in your weakness, he will sustain you. 
And look, it's different for each person, and it may be different seasons of life. The thing that once worked for you as a Christian, if you're a Christian, you may face something too big, or you just grow and your life is different enough, it doesn't work. Maybe you had that quiet time every day, and now you have young kids, or you have insomnia, or you're working the night shift, or something happens where what worked for five years and gave you Christian vibrancy doesn't. What will interrupt you so you don't just go and watch YouTube, so you don't just start shopping? Uh, whatever it is, how you, however you escape. Should you sing? Will that help you to get in tune uh, with this servant who will bear your burdens? Is it to read something, to, to read the Bible or some Christian book that will, will take your mind captive? Is it to call a Christian friend to talk and process with or to ask for prayer? Uh, is it to gather with God's people on Sunday to just patiently wait until you can do it? There's a lot of resources, but but what will interrupt your weakness, your brokenness, your discouragement? You need something. You know, um, sometimes when when uh, when I'm driving and and I, I put in my coordinates on my GPS, I now have it on my phone. Um, I've learned enough. I used to have this fear that what if I put in the wrong address and and all these things. And I've I've gotten good enough that I now have sufficient confidence in my GPS. Every now and then the, the GPS can fail, but, but the GPS is more often accurate than I am. But what will happen sometimes is I'll be driving and I'll get a signal while I'm driving that says, you know, the GPS knows things I don't know. The GPS knows there's traffic ahead, there's an accident. And so it offers you a different route. And it says, do you wanna take it? But at that point, because I'm driving, I can't examine the map. I don't know where I am. And so, so at that point I have a choice. Am I gonna just stay the course? Am I going to trust myself for my knowledge? Or if I'm in a strange place, will I just accept that the GPS knows something I don't know? I've, I've had enough experience driving that often when, I've, if, when I'm given that option, I'm willing to, to click on reroute me. Um, and, and, and that's what I'm saying. Walking with Jesus, as you practice in life, you start to trust that he knows things you don't do. And sometimes he's going to come into your life and say, this is not working. You can't keep going. You're going to get stuck. And he's going to to offer you a different way. And then the question is, will you trust him? Are you willing to get out of the way that you were going and go a different route? This summer, I was going to drive. I was going to spend a few days in St. Louis. And then I was with my family. We were going to drive to, to California. And I knew once we got to Colorado, there were lots of options to plan. Where can you stop? I've been to Colorado enough times and I knew of beautiful places or interesting places, but I looked at the map and Kansas is quite a big country, a uh, big state. <laughs> it's a, uh, not, a, not a country like a nation, but a, a country kind of place where you can't just pull off and, and find something to do. And I spend hours, you know, and, and within four hours, if you get off the highway, but I'm not looking to add time to my, to my trip. And I found myself saying, I'm going to be in the car for hours and hours and hours and don't know where to go, don't know where to stop. And uh, before I left for the trip, I spoke to somebody from Kansas who said, oh, is this the route you're going? Do you know there's this great town here? And because she knew the place, I then went back and I looked up a number of things. We wound up, you know, six hours into our trip, stopping at this great local swimming pool that I never would have known about and getting refreshed. And we went to this small main street that had just really good food and a good bookstore. I never would have known that if somebody from there wasn't able to offer that for me. Um, what God tells us is that he knows us. He knows our world. He knows the heavenly realms, but he knows the earth better than we do. We don't know the future. We can't control things. We get bruised. We get broken. We get desperate. And and we're going to believe anything. We're going to be fooled. We're going to be deceived. God sends his servant into the world and says, 
here's somebody that knows life. Here's the one who did not grow faint and weary, but he's not here to humiliate you. He's not here to show you that you're not good enough, but he comes among the bruised and he doesn't break them. He comes across those uh, who are losing hope so that it feels like the light is about to go. And he says, but, but join with me and in my light, you will see light. And he tells us that if you are willing to listen to him, he will show you an alternate way and you need to trust him. You need to recognize that in your hurting and brokenness, there is a comfort that comes from God. And it's not as instant as the distraction of the world, but it's truly healing. It's justifying. He will make your life right. You, um, through distracting yourself, uh, through your self-improvement plans, will not make yourself ready to face God, to account for how you've lived. But Jesus will. And if you were in Christ, his life is at work with you. And so whatever path you're on, if Jesus says, come, go this other way, trust me, follow me, um, trust him, stay close to him. There is a servant that we can follow. So here's the last thing that I want to talk about is a waiting world. So here's the third thing. There's a waiting world. And I now want to pivot from Advent to Acts. <laughs> uh, the book of Christmas is a hinge in terms of the practice of the church that the season of Advent from Thanksgiving weekend through, the, through December is a season of waiting. But it's God's people who are waiting. We're the ones who practice Advent, if we practice it, where we say we're going to have that discipline of remembering what it was like before Jesus was sent or focusing now on our desire for Jesus to return. So, so we're waiting for something very specific. We have the scriptures, we have the promises, we have the history of God's people, we have the spirit present in us now. And what we're told uh, is that we have a name, we have a servant. And so God's people are waiting for God's servant. The name has been given to us, Jesus. But we forget that once he has arrived, there's a world that's still waiting. They're still hurting. They need something, but they don't have the name. Maybe they haven't read the scriptures, or maybe they haven't understood it, or they haven't encouraged, encountered the message. And, and the people who have received Christ, who entered the world at Christmas, and whose spirit was poured out, and the book of Acts are sent back into the world, uh, when we join with the servant who are sent, we become servants. Uh, we become part of the people. So, so God's plan always was for covenant people. It's just that one person keeps the covenant for us. And now we join with Christ. And so now we are set back on that calling to Abraham to say, now go out and be a light in the world to the nations. So in verse four, this is the last part of verse four. It says the coastlands wait for his law. There's, there's a far off land, there are other people. And in Jesus's day, they used a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible called the Septuagint. And in Matthew 12, Matthew cites uh, Isaiah 42, and he uses the language of the Gentiles or the nations. And so, so, so by Jesus's day, the people of Israel were reading Isaiah 42, saying that one day when the servant comes, their understanding at that time, their interpretation is, is there's a waiting people. The coastlands are waiting for God's law, uh, God's righteous ways that were, were, were made known to a specific people. Um, people who don't know that God, who don't know that people, they're waiting. <laughs> They've been waiting a long time for the light to go to the nations. What we're told with the arrival of Jesus is a new people are being reconstituted, a new covenant people who now 
uh, as we are being healed, as we are justified, we go back to the world to, to live that justified life, that, that life that's made upright so that we become the, those who repair the world, who shine God's light, who say, we won't go to you so that you could comfort us with whatever promise is promised, but we will go to Christ and we will invite you. The doors of the church are open, whoever you are, whatever you know about God, you want something to heal you. You want something to help you. You want something to give you life. The church now says we have the name. <laughs> we know who the servant is. He's been revealed. He's come. He's come to our midst. And so what we who are Christian need to remember is there is a waiting world. People don't want us in our religion, in our morality, in our practices. Not everybody finds the church or Christianity appealing. Part of that is us and our failings. Part of that is them and their stubbornness. What human beings have in common is we are hurting. We're broken. And God has something we need. What we're told is he has sent a servant. And people don't know his name. They don't know his plan of salvation. They don't know his redemption, but they're waiting. They're waiting desperately and they're dying and they're trapped. What we're told is if we have come to know this servant, the one who came into the world in Christmas, the one who poured his spirit out for us, uh, the one who accomplished salvation on Easter and was raised, he now sends the church back into the world. And so in verses six and seven, when he says, I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for nations to open the eyes that are blind. Yeah, I'm not the covenant. You're not the covenant. Jesus is the one who keeps the covenant. But the question is, are you in Christ and is Christ in you? The spirit is in me and therefore I am now part of his people. He now gives us his people for the nations. He sends us back so that we would be light. And here's the thing that we need to remember. On the one hand, justified people need to live justified lives. If, if we've been made right, don't get discouraged. Don't get weak. Get out of that pattern. We're never going to be perfect. This is not about the treadmill of moralism, but it's about a better way. Jesus will say those ways are, are it's the ways that have trapped you. Um, walk in the upright ways. Don't get discouraged. Don't get weak in, in your weakness. Don't get off the path. Stay with me. Follow me. But as you live that life, then your light will shine. Your life will will bring healing, will be corrective. So on the one hand, we need to take seriously the call to see the light of Christ and to live in it. That's part of God's plan for the world. But we need to be humble enough to remember that the church is made up of those who had been broken and who are now being healed. We don't point to ourselves only except to the degree that we can testify to the truth of God's healing power and to the fact that he accepts sinners and that we have a hope that is now life-giving. But we don't point to ourselves, but we're a community that welcomes people into our midst, that points to him. And so our goal is that it's the light of Christ that would shine from us. So people who are waiting for something would start to understand God has already provided it. And you are welcome. So we go into the nations not to become like them, but that the nations can hear and join um, in the work of God. Um, some years ago, I remember reading uh, a woman who, who was writing about her own experience of widowhood. So she was young. Her husband died when he was 31 of cancer. It was not what she was expected. She had two young children. And she wrote something that was a strong rebuke to me. So here's somebody who is so hurting and desperate. She really needs to know that, that God is with her. And, and she wrote something that reminds us of the superficiality of the church. And look, the, the church, you know, uh, we functioned in, in different ways at different times, but this was convicting. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to read, I, I uh, took note of this. I'm going to read this thing that she wrote. She said, when church leaders sit around and discuss how they could reach people, 
I don't think they have the widow in mind. I don't think they have the cancer patient in mind. I don't think they have the children who are growing up without a parent in mind. I'm not paying attention to the church decor when I walk through the doors. I don't want to smell fresh brewed coffee in the lobby. I don't want to see a trendy pastor on the platform. I don't care about the graphics of the props on the platform. I'm hurting in ways that, um, that are almost indescribable. My days are spent working full time. My nights are spent homeschooling and taking care of two young children. I don't have shared duties with a spouse anymore. Everything is on my plate. When I go to church, I desperately want to hear the word of God. And look, um, we're all hurting, but sometimes we're doing well enough that we need something to pick us up. And it's not superficial to want to be hospitable and to be nice. But we could be so focused on those things because they give us just enough comfort to get through the week that we can move away from what actually gives life and comfort. Friends, we need the word of God because it's a message about a servant. It's a message that says to broken and hurting people, God alone will bring healing to your life. And as a church, no matter what we go through in 2022, let's be the nicest people. Let's have fun events. Let's try to do all things with excellence, but let's not distract anything from the word of God that declares uh, there is one who is a life giver. And Jesus has come into the world and he gives life to us, healing to us. And it's not quick. It's not easy. But if you walk with Christ, you'll learn it's, it is the only thing that works. He will not grow weary. He will not grow faint. And so the, the weary and the faint have always found, if I join with him as a bruised reed, I will not break. I can expect to be healed. And so friends, let's stand firm on the gospel message. Let's make sure the light of Christ shines brightly. And let's go back into the world as a new covenant people. He has fulfilled righteousness for us. We don't declare our own righteousness. But we go out to the world as a justified people to say there is hope that he could make things right. I'm going to end with a quote um, from Desmond Tutu. He just died. He's a Christian leader. And um, uh, he said something that, that just, it was a reminder to me that the church is a collection of a lot of weak people who are sent into a broken world. None of us can fix it. But together as the body of Christ, to the degree that we're united with him, Tutu said, do your little bit of good where you are. It's those little bits of good put together that overwhelm the world. So you and your discouraged life, how are you going to change the world? And the short, frank answer is you're not. <laughs> But God will change the world, and God invites you into life with him. So are you growing discouraged? Don't. Uh, don't give up. Don't, don't numb yourself. Stay faithful to the servant. Become his servant. Uh, verse 1, behold my servant whom I uphold. In Christ, he will uphold you. You don't need to fade away. You can have that life. If we as a church are a group of small people doing small things together, we'll, we'll do a lot more for our neighbors. And if we are the body of Christ in the world, together, the little things each church can do will bear witness to this great light. Friends, we have hope. We don't need to give up. 2022, I don't know next week if we're meeting on Zoom, if we're meeting in person, I have no idea. But I know that if we're keeping our ears open to the word of God, if we're looking to the servant that he sent, um, we don't need to grow weary. We don't need to grow discouraged. 
And so um, whatever you're feeling this week, are you hopeless? Don't give up. Set your hope on the true servant. And, and he will sustain you. He has called you. He has chosen you. He will, he will bring you along. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we are always a wounded people. That's, that's us. We're a community on this world. But some of us are always a bit more discouraged. Some of us have a bit more insight into the fainting nature. Some of us are doing well enough that we just need a word of encouragement. Lord, I pray that those who are doing well would have that word of encouragement, that we would stay on, on that right path, that we would not grow weary or get, get sent astray. I pray for the sinner, for the broken, for those this week or this in this season who have done what they know they should not do. Lord, we're, we are here to be a, a humble people. Uh, you invite us to turn. I pray that today would be a day of turning, of forgiveness. And I pray that shame would not keep us in darkness, but the power of your light uh, would draw us to your grace and your excellency, that we would see that you are humble and kind, gracious and merciful, that we would turn again when you tell us to get off of that path and to get back into life with you, uh, that we would welcome that. We pray for those who are bearing the sins of others, who are wounded and discouraged because they're believing lies that are they're entangled with. We pray for truth. We pray for uprightness. We pray for Jesus Christ, who alone is just, would make things right in our lives and in our world and among our communities so that we would not stay stuck in the dungeon, but we would walk in the path of righteousness. Lord, we pray for Emmanuel this year. We don't know what's going to come. May we be faithful to your word. May we believe the gospel. May your light shine. So Lord, we thank you, and we ask that you would be work at work powerfully. Thank you for every good thing you've done in 2021, and thank you that we can trust you for 2022. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.